0: transmissions podcast of course i am kyle bird i am uh uh one of the hosts host one host two host a or b whatever and with me is my co-host matt
1: parmley that was that was a weird intro i'm not sure what happened there i don't know if if, if anyone has
0: been (laughs) listening to me podcast since my if it bleeds days like every intro was really bizarre so i don't know maybe i'm was it
1: at. Well, you, you talked about host one and two. Was that like both of you? Because you joined a Skype call twice earlier today. This is
0: true. <laughs> I'm unclear exactly what happened, but I was signed in on my computer, and they were having a hard time finding me on my computer. But, like, every time the call came in, it would ring on my phone. And so, at some point, I was. I don't even know how like somehow. You somehow, logged in twice to two Skype accounts? Well, yeah, in and in 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 it's linked to my same phone number and everything and my same email. So somehow I was logged in on two devices, and I don't even know why that's possible. It's kind of, I don't know if I should be alarmed or what, but um, but that, that's that been figured out. Um, so with me, um, who you may have heard uh, in... in uh, chuckling in in the background. We have two guests. Um, We have uh, one of our, I guess at this point we can just say it's like a revolving door of third co-host. We have Kevin, you're back. I don't think you need any real introduction anymore, but the author of Kaiju for Hipsters and the Mazer Patrol blog.
2: Hey, good to be acknowledged. I can, I can stop uh, waiting silently in the wings.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And uh, unofficially debuted on this podcast before in the form of the repurposing of Kevin's Godzilla Criterion podcast, which we also put out. But the official debut of our our friend Justin Mullis, who we've known for a long time and we've talked on and off about getting on here at some point. So uh, it's good to finally have you.
3: Good to finally be here officially. Thank yes. you. Yes,
0: and the and the the people may or may not know uh, this gentleman from his Man Creates Dinosaurs blog, um, and uh, articles that have appeared in different uh, different formats and books like uh, John Lemay's uh, Un- Kong Unmade and Jaws Unmade books, and um, the Giant Monsters in Our World book from McFarland and uh, I'm sure plenty of other things is there anything that you feel like plugging at this time uh
3: no i mean yeah i mean for people who listen to this I mean, those three right there i mean john's two books and um you know the the giant creatures in our world book and uh you know people might have seen me during uh the kaiju con line i did the presentation on western monsters in japan where i talked about toho's frankenstein and werewolf and vampire movies and um i was i was also i was also instrumental in in helping you guys get your your facts straight yes. with your recent orochi episode yes. so
0: because uh you are a scholar of religious studies and whatnot right is that, yeah. is that, yeah. is that like the proper thing <laughs> to say no well, like... yeah i mean
3: i'm i i uh most of my academic background has has been in religious studies i have a master's in religious studies from uh university of north carolina at charlotte i taught there for a while and i'm currently uh involved in my phd work at uh, bowling green state university in ohio and uh, i've i've switched over from religion specifically to uh, american cultural studies uh, more broadly, but I still have a very um uh decided interest in uh in Japan, so you know hence why I'm here
0: so
2: those are like actual nerd credentials,
0: yeah, those are like <laughs> we're just like we like to watch monster movies and anime and stuff <laughs> like <laughs> yeah so so you're you're a real nerd, not just a a loser like us that sits home and absorbs pop culture. <laughs> so we're here to discuss the recent Netflix anime series Japan Sinks 2020, which, uh, as the title would indicate, is A, about Japan sinking, but also is another um, version of, or adaptation of the Sakyo Komatsu novel Um, Toho did two live-action versions, one in the 70s, one in the 2000s, um, which we did review at length a couple years back, so anyone that, uh, wants to hear us kind of talk about those, you know, I mean, go through our back catalog, and we do have a Japan Sinks episode where we talk about those, as well as the parody film, Everything Sinks Except Japan, or is it Everything Except Japan Sinks? I don't know. Whatever it is. Uh, the, the world sinks except Oh, Japan. well, okay, sure. Uh, Kevin coming in with <laughs> Okay, your- the <laughs> world sinks <laughs> except Japan. Um so I guess this is a a, 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 a what what are the, what's the Hollywood jargon for that the the spiritual sequel to that episode. Um And and this is a it's an in, this is an interesting story uh in that it's almost it, I I feel like this could easily become like the Japanese like invasion of the body snatchers and, and let me tell you what I mean by that is that like it's almost like every generation so far is like getting their own version that speaks very uh, specifically about like what Japan is at the time you know what the creators who are creating it feels like it means to be Japanese at the time um so it's interesting to see, you know, these repeated updates of it and, you know, who knows, I'm sure there'll be another another version of it. This uh, is It's been I was going to say it's been
3: recognized as that. There's um uh Susan Napier is a scholar of Japanese literature and she was kind of one of the first people who brought attention uh to Japan sinks the novel and then the film adaptations in the West because she wrote an essay years ago called The Japanese Imagination of Disaster. And she talked about in that essay, um, the original Godzilla, Japan Sinks, and then also Akira as being like these three works that showed how the Japanese have sort of processed this idea. And so because of that, you do see within like academic discourse, like Japan Sinks periodically pops up as being one of these, like Godzilla being one of these sort of Touchstone science fiction franchises in Japan. That's like, as um, was it Donald Ritchie said about Godzilla? Like it's a cultural barometer, right? You can look at it and be like, okay, how are the Japanese feeling about things right
0: now? So. Yeah, and like I guess to to put it as s- simply as possible, like the the and the novel and the original movie, I think were weren't too far apart. I mean, within ten years of each other, probably less, but. Um, so, like, in the 70s, it was more about, like, the kind of Japan's feeling of isolation. And if we were to sink, like, what would the rest of the world do? Um, and then, like, the the version in uh, 06 that Shinji Higuchi did, that was coming at a time when, like, Japanese movies were really trying to be more, I guess, uplifting and, and you know, making the audience feel proud to be japanese kind of like uh you know more of a more patriotic almost the movie's been compared to a michael bay film and like you definitely get that i mean spoiler alert if anyone hasn't seen it like the i'll just say the title is misleading <laughs> um, <laughs> and then uh and then the parody movie uh, kind of turned that on its head and kind of was way more critical of like how japan handles itself and now we have this anime version which is very very much a post-Fukushima 311 kind of take on it. So it is interesting that all of them are very representative of what's going on, you know, this politically, not not only politically, but economically, like, socially, like, where, where Japan is as a country um, at the time that they're made. Um, and then uh, this version is... Um, I'll need someone to help me out with this guy's name. Yuasa. What's his first name? Masaki. Okay. Masaki Masaki Yuasa, who is, like, I guess he's this is where, like, I am not an anime guy. I watch the stuff that I think looks interesting, but I'm, like, by no means up-to-date on anime at all. So this is where I'm gonna lean into probably Kevin the most. But it it seems like he's the newest, like, hot name. And I, I by new, I mean, I know he's been around for a little while now, but seems like he's 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 branded himself the the way that like Ano has almost is that is that am i is that accurate <laughs> he's
2: he's a very big deal now and he's a very big deal in the west but he's had an interesting career uh in that uh he he made uh some some early films that like were kind of well liked by a, a very niche Fan base. so things like Mind Game and the TV series the Tatami Galaxy are, you know, artsy, and artsy people liked them, but they weren't, like, big commercial successes. Uh, but that was enough that he was able to, uh, to kickstart uh, an anime uh, called Kick Heart in uh, 2013, uh, and when he did that, uh, he, he kind of got a lot of international funding and attention that way. Uh, because uh, Kick Heart was well distributed, and a lot of foreign people were putting uh, putting funding into it, and it was kind of a an international darling. And from there, he was invited to work on the Cartoon Network series Adventure Time. And with that, uh, he got his own student studio founded uh, for just one episode of, of Adventure <laughs> Time, uh, Science Saru, uh which is the the one that uh, he, he currently works for was was founded. And Science Saru, uh really is is where he starts getting these these big hits. Uh, uh, you know, movie wise, uh, if you look at uh, Night is Short Walk on Girl that was in theaters recently, Lou Over the Wall was in theaters recently, Ride Your Wave was in theaters recently. All of this is due to the success of a series that he did for Netflix called Devilman Crybaby, which yep. was a huge, huge like. Anime of the year type of uh, type of hit, uh, and that kind of got a lot of eyes on him and people going back and reevaluating all of his his previous works. So uh, it makes sense that uh, he did this series for Netflix. That's a remake of a thing from the '70s. Uh, that's <laughs> repeating again this year, and a lot of uh, high expectations are on it. Yeah, and
0: it, yeah, Devilman Crybaby. That was one where like. I've never been a Devilman fan. I, I'm very out of the loop when it comes to anime and manga. I don't, I don't even remember what drew it to me. I think I was just like, oh, people are talking about this. I guess I'll watch it. And it's like, I really dug it. So I was like, you know, I'm on board with whatever this guy does next. And then it turns out to be this this story that, you know, I, I really, I mean, I, I don't like the Higuchi version really at all, but I, I really like the the original toho film i have never read the book though so i mean i was already like oh this is at the very least this is going to be interesting um
2: and, and he doesn't really repeat styles from one work to the next yeah He's,
0: yeah so yeah he really uh, makes the most of the animation yeah medium. he like this looks nothing like devil man cry except for maybe in some of the most like surface level ways um and yeah i gotta say uh it's been a while since I've seen something come out that's drawn is much of a mixed reaction. Is is this like the the spectrum, on from hating it to thinking it's amazing? Like it, this series is really like, is the reaction? It's it's perplexing how varied opinions are. They are all over the place, and I'm sure that might even get reflected in this podcast. Um,
2: that, that's a lot of UAS's awesome stuff, though. Like, talk to anime fans about Ping Pong the animation. Like, <laughs> the people that love it and people that want it to die. Yeah,
0: well, I guess for me it was surprising because, like, I mean, it, I think my, you know, I have mixed thoughts about the, this series, but, like, it seemed like everyone loved Crybaby. So this is, like, that's... And then like you go back to this and it's like it's way more divisive. It's like when uh Nicholas Reffin made Drive and like everyone and their mom seemed to love Drive and then after that he put out only God forgives and everyone was just like, What the <laughs> what the hell? Um So correct me if I'm wrong then this is Toho is not involved with this.
2: I don't believe so. I think this is just science. Yeah,
0: because like I, I, and I know his, what is it? The walk on, walk on home, whatever it's called. uh, That was with Toho, what Toho animation thing. And yeah, from what I understand or what I could figure out, Toho wasn't involved in this, which is interesting because, you know, they did the two live action adaptations. I kind of figured that they held on to, you know, the, the rights to adapt the rights to the novel. But I guess, I guess not um so uh this i guess i'll kind of just give a breakdown and then we can just dive into well a lot <laughs> um so this is I, again i've never read the novel but from what i understand the last two movies were more in line with the book in that it's more about the scientists and the politi- politicians that are handling this disaster of these repeated earthquakes and you know it, parts of japan sinking into the sea and you know the international affairs that come with it this pretty much throws all that out the window and retains one character i guess it's animation but whatever but physically and then another character that is name dropped and that's that's it from from the the previous versions um and so here we have uh i like until they brought in this character from the other versions, I, I almost felt like, oh, this is like a side story. Like this is like, this is what like an, uh, your average, you know, family is going through during the the actual story. So we have a, a family, a uh, 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 and um, that is uh, the the show gives you lets you know very early on they are culturally mixed. Um, so the mom is Filipino. Uh, so the kids are you know a mixed race. Um, the The youngest child, you know he'll he'll break into English every now and then. Um, and uh, there is a reason for that in the story, which I, I, that's one of the things that I think is kind of losing the American audience a bit. There's a big one that we'll talk about. <laughs> um, and it's basically putting them in almost like a, almost like a walking a walking dead. Scenario: If you're familiar with the, the series *Walking Dead*, where it's like, okay, we have to avoid this problem. and here, you know, replace zombies with earthquakes, and it's like we've it's a, it's like a road story of you know these people trying to get out of harm's way. Um, and it starts when there is a cataclysmic earthquake that kills who knows. <laughs> I don't even know how many people, but um, you know, you have the 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 daughter ayu is it mu ayu, ayumu you what is it what's the, what's the daughter's name ayumu ayumu yeah okay so i was almost there um and it happens it happens in the middle of her uh, like her track thing at school and you know it just it, it basically literally the building collapses around her and crushes pretty much everybody and instead of, you know, going to help, she she runs away in panic, which really affects her mentally throughout the rest of the series with a lot of guilt and stuff. Um uh the dad is a construction worker and I think he's working in it's like a sports stadium or something, but you know, all his co-workers pretty much die and then the son is playing video games at home, which is like, you know, he's your typical like gamer kid and he gets, like, drilled in the head with a a flying chair or something and gets knocked out, um, and then, uh, by the end of the episode, so the family's broken up, the mom is just arriving from being, I forget where, but she was overseas, and she was at the airport, and, uh, so by the end of the episode, the family does get reunited, um, so the first episode is them, like, looking for each other, and, and, then we're introduced to some other characters. We have uh, the family friend Haruo, um, and uh, uh, one of one of their—I I don't know if she's a neighbor—but what there's also the other girl. Um, uh, she joins them, <laughs> whatever her name is, and then uh, and then um, it, na- Nanami. Na- okay, yeah, okay, that's right. And then later, uh, one or two episodes later, they meet this. Uh, well-known YouTuber, which is an Estonian guy, um, named Kite, who, uh, you know, he, he has all these gadgets, I guess he's, you know, he's got drones and all these things he makes his YouTube videos with, and the kid is, like, knows who he is, and, and that's, like, our core, our core group, um, not all of them will make it till the end, um, so we're really just following them, trying to get out of harm's way, Throughout the this sequence of earthquakes that is sinking the country, Uh, along the way they meet um, a uh, uh, the racist with the heart of gold character who uh, is basically like Clint Eastwood in Gran Torino, um, who's like the older an old one of the older generation guys uh, who um, you know he owns a store um, and they meet him when they go looking for supplies then. Uh, they end up picking up a, I think, like a hitchhiker named Daniel, who's a, a foreigner who is, hi, him and the old guy are trying to get to this convent called Shan City, which, that's when the the series gets a little weird, and it's um, basically a cult, you know, uh, for a while there, I was, like, worrying it's gonna be, like, okay, I'm watching, like, Midsummer again, but... Um, (laughs) and then, and then after that, you know, they, they, they get out of that place. Um, and then they, while they're there, they meet up with Onodera, who, if the name sounds familiar and you know the story, I mean, he's like the protagonist of the novel and the two films. And he's like the, the big, he's like the scientist that was like, hey, we're seeing all these earthquakes, like you got to do something. And. Um, in all the versions of the story, no one really listens to him. And then Professor Tadakoro, or no, um, Onadera is like a submarine guy. I don't know what you call him, but and the, but Tadakoro is the professor. He's a submersible, pilot, yeah, yeah.
3: He is, he is the one. He was involved with like the the earthquake research. Yeah, he it, yeah. He's
0: the, the one that's been going and surveying the the ocean floor and and stuff like that. And then Tadakoro. He's the one they only mention, you know, um, and he's the scientist that, like, is predicting all these earthquakes and saying, like, hey, we got to do something, and and no one really listens to these guys in any of these. Um, I know this series was made before COVID, but in a post-coming out, being released in a post-COVID world, there's a lot of scenes that are like, oh, wow, like, uh that's very familiar like the first or second episode you have some guys that are like oh like those quack scientists that are predicting all these earthquakes like yeah that (laughs) like conspiracy.com I mean they don't say this I'm just paraphrasing but like yeah conspiracy.com says they're full of it you know we're gonna go this way and it's like yeah I'm pretty sure that they're dead by now (laughs) um and they Tadakoro's or not Tadakoro. Onadero's weird in this because he's um he's crippled so he can't move at all, really. You know, he's on a stretcher the whole time and like he he communicates with morse code and you know, he does that by tapping on a surface um and you know, blinking once for yes, two for no. Um they never really say why, but they they find him at that uh Convent. So my guess is there's something there where they must have done that to him. You know, maybe they didn't weren't believing in his science or whatever. Um, it's basically like what if a cult like crippled Doctor Fauci and like kept him there. <laughs> I don't. I, I, I read it completely different. Well, okay. That. No. Oh, no. Yeah, I'm interested I don't, though. I, don't, I was, well, So yeah, what was... I Think that that's what happens to him at all? Okay. Well, no. I want to hear what Explain. you guys. Yeah. No. No. I want to hear what you guys read on that was because I had no like it's the only thing I could even think of
2: uh so I I think that he was he was injured in one of his you know missions to investigate the the earthquakes or something Mm -hmm. along those lines and he just kind of wound up there as it was uh the only functioning medical facility around okay and they were nice nice enough people that they just decided to like take him in and take care Uh... of him because if you look at like the main characters they're like a lot of refugees, kind of just wind up there. Yeah, and they are surprisingly like. I think we're 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 maybe even intended to to kind of have a go in with a bit of a bias mm-hmm. against these kind of groups and and sort of expecting that that malicious foot to drop, but I don't think it ever does. Yeah. In, the, in the series, and I think that that's deliberate. Yeah,
0: no, that's that's a good. I mean, I'm first of all, I've always been a cynical bastard, but like. Right now, almost everything I watch, I end up with some kind of grim takeaway. <laughs> so, so please forgive me. No, I I, I prefer your version. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, and that's pretty much the plot. And we, you know, we will obviously get into spoilers, and we'll get into the ending because the ending itself is a whole thing. So, I mean, if you guys want to check out the series and come back to this now's your chance if you don't care or if you've seen it you know by all means continue but uh but that's a good as good a place as any to leave off with the actual plot um so uh so yeah i I think this is definitely made through the lens of the post fukushima thing um and, uh, I mean, I guess we'll, I mean, we might as well uh, get into the cult subplot now because we're already on it. But uh, that's one of the things that I thought was weird. And, and it's just kind of my nature to, like, especially if, especially if I'm watching something from another country, if there's something that I don't get and I'm like, okay, this seems weird, this seems out of place, like, I always stop and, like, I I just get on Google and figure out, like, okay, is there something I'm missing? And, indeed um in the wake of fukushima there were uh, a lot of these like and and justin can feel free to step in correct me and elaborate on anything that i'm saying um but there were a lot of these kind of neo neo religions i guess you could call them a lot of them that were founded um you know in the 1900s so within the last 100 years and they really kind of saw a surge of i guess popularity after fukushima and i guess um a lot of people would maybe you know it would be a coping mechanism or, or whatever um to kind of get into this kind of spiritualism and uh, and i guess um, i guess a lot of those and this is justin you're probably gonna piggyback right off of this too a lot of them are all are, are kind of bringing back some of the thought processes from like hundreds of years ago and kind of Reinterpreting them, am I kind of sort of accurate here?
3: Yeah. So I mean, okay. So we want to talk about like the the religious group in in the show, which is yeah. I mean, they're they're in this place called Sean City, um, and I don't recall um, the group ever being given a proper name. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, so they're they're, they're probably they, trying to avoid you know, yeah. naming so names. They,
3: they, they don't ever really give them a name, but yeah, it's called Sean city is where they are. And their, um, their leader, it sort of seems to, well, that's, that's kind of a question. The, their community is, is built around this woman named Kane, um, who, who they just refer to as mother. Um, and she has, has a child, uh, Daiichi, who is apparently, um, you know has has psychic powers and so you know there's this whole thing where she'll like hold her child's hand and then you'll place an object in her hand and then she can commune with the dead person who that object belonged to and and let you you speak to them and that's kind of that that's kind of as much of the basis of sort of their worldview um that we get and uh you know, and, and they, they have this community where, you know, they're they're you know, putting up all of these people, all of these refugees who have been, you know, their their homes have been destroyed, their communities have been destroyed by this cataclysm, you know, and they're providing them with shelter, they're providing them with food, they're providing them with clothing, um, you know, medical care. Um, they're you know, they've they've got places where in we see in one of the two episodes where we're really there, like the kids go and they, they throw an impromptu rave, you know, right? they've apparently got all the stuff for that. Um, but yeah, to, to kind of go to, to what you're saying, I think that for, especially like Western viewers watching this, that those, those two episodes or so, which is um, really like episodes five and six, um, or, or probably would strike them, probably strike Westerners as, as very weird. And, you know, you, you keep using the term term cult, which in religious studies is a term that we try not to use, just specifically because it has a very negative connotation. People tend to use cult as meaning like bad, scary religion. Um, what what we would refer to the the Sean City people as is a, a uh, new religious movement or an uh, NRM. Um, so as just this idea of you know that they're a very very nascent religious group, um, you know, uh, that that is built a you know, a very sort of small community, though that, that that's even that's even debatable because I guess it's you know, what do you what do you mean by it by a small uh community? You know, how many millions of followers do you have to have? Because there's certainly lots of new religious movements that have lots of followers, but um, in terms of of like their inclusion in this and like what you were saying about you know, how this reflects like 311 and stuff. I think what's important for Western audiences to understand that they're seeing here is, um, well, well, first of all, you have to understand like Japan has a completely different sort of religious landscape than we have over here in the United States, right? I mean, the United States is a country where you have a very high level of, religious affiliation you know it's it's we're we're up into you know the the 70 80 percentile or more of people over here who openly declare themselves to be part of some sort of religious community predominantly christian but then also like jewish or muslim or or buddhist or anything and it's it's the minority of people who don't um affiliate themselves with religion and in japan it's the exact opposite where most Japanese people profess to not be involved with religion or to not be or to to actually be um, atheists. But the weird thing about that, what counterbalances it, is that you have a very high level of religious participation. In Japan. So it's very important in Japanese culture for people to go to Shinto shrines or to be involved with Buddhist temples or to have little altars in their homes and these sorts of things. So you end up with a very different set of ideas about how religion works and about how it's sort of built into that society, not to mention the fact that those religions are are very different um, in sort of the general kind of cosmology, which I can come back to here in a second. But, um, you know, that that's that's all really important because, um, you know, I think one of the reasons why we tend to think about cults or, or small religious communities or new religious movements over here as being like bad, scary religion is because we're so used to having a kind of religious mainline in this country, right? You're used to You know, especially like where I grew up in in North Carolina, for example, you know, um, though I think it's true really across the country in in many regards. You know, you're used to like pretty much every person you meet on the street is going to be like some flavor of Christianity. Right. Um, Like that's that's your norm. And so it's weird if you meet somebody who's not like a run of the mill religious person who's part of some other kind of what we would see as like weird or non-mainstream group whereas in Japan because you don't necessarily have that same kind of widespread religious affiliation it's not seen as being as being that odd and like you were saying so really what happens is um in the the late 1800s early 1900s in Japan as a result of the Meiji restoration where there's japan opens back up to the world um and they're not sort of just limited to kind of the the long-standing religious traditions of shinto and, and buddhism you start having this influx of new religious ideas and you start having a lot of new religious movements um sprout up you know world war Two happens and a lot of that stuff kind of gets you know goes underground because the Japanese imperial government really puts all of their emphasis on a particular brand of, like, state Shinto. But when the when Japan loses the war and state Shinto kind of falls apart, then you have uh, suddenly another explosion in the post-war era of these new religious movements. And there's a very famous book uh, from 1967 called The Rush Hour of the Gods by a scholar, uh, Neil McFarland, which is all about how during the the 1960s um, Japan just kind of blows up with new religious movements, all of these groups just coming out of the woodwork. What I think is important here in the context of like Japan sinks and what you're seeing and and like what Kevin was saying about how these people are portrayed is that what what does happen in Japan is that in the mid 90s you do have this one particular new religious movement um, Om um, Shin uh, Rikyo, uh, which is a doomsday cult, and they're uh, they, they're infamous because in '95 they carry out a terrorist attack in Tokyo. Uh, they release um, sarin gas into the subways, and they they end up killing a number of people and hospitalizing a great deal more. And as a result, it creates a lot of hostility in Japan to these new religious movements, and really. Um, and this this is my understanding from from stuff that i've read and people i've talked to until 311 people in japan are really edgy about new religious movements Um, even if they're ones that have been around for a long time like soka Gakkai. because there's this idea that any one of these groups could turn into a next um, um shinrikyo and it's only after 311 that that sort of changes because during 311, where there's so much confusion and, you know, problems with the Japanese government responding efficiently and on time and helping people, a lot of these groups really step up. Um, Soka Gakkai among them, and there's, there's a number of others, um, and they're the ones who end up kind of servicing their community and taking care of their community giving people places to stay, feeding them, clothing them, uh, providing medical care for them, um, even even after the government comes in. And then, of course, even after the government leaves, they keep doing this. Um, there, there has been some criticism of what they've done, uh, because, you know, it, it just just as there is with uh, any kind of disaster relief effort uh, that's done by religious groups, you know, you think back to like the earthquake in Haiti, where you had like Christian groups helping out there, and there were things about like maybe you guys should be handing out more bottles of water and less Bibles. But um, so you get that kind of stuff. But by and large, you know, uh, a lot of those groups were very instrumental in helping out with the disaster. And so I think in this anime. You're really seeing that reflected with this group that they are, you know, because because in fact, um, you know, I don't think if I'm remembering correctly, I watched the whole thing, but you know, I don't, you don't ever really see the Japanese government in any way coming through for our protagonists or any of the people around them. They're pretty much on their own, and the first really significant sub- substantial help they all get is from this this uh, you know, Sean City community uh, you know that that puts them up and and helps them. So I think you're seeing kind of this this reevaluation of these sorts of groups uh, in this anime. So there's a really good essay um, that was uh, I can't remember. When it was published exactly, it was a few years ago, but there's a scholar, Christopher Harding, from uh, the University of Edinburgh, he did a lot of uh, ethnographic research in Japan after 3.11, and uh, I think if you read this article that he wrote, um, you'll see kind of some parallels with what's also going on in in Japan, syncs with that community, because he talks about how this belief in ghosts was so important to people after that disaster for the obvious reason that there had been such a tremendous loss of life and so many people had loved ones who, you know, they wanted to speak to one last time or they wanted to hear from. And so, you know, you see this explosion in people going to mediums, people going to psychics, people going to somebody who claims that they can get them in touch. With their deceased loved ones, and even and even not just with people. Um, Harding, in this essay, talks about something that's like fascinating, where um, he mentions that there was a, a town where there was a, a payphone booth that uh, you know was had it was like the only thing left standing. Like everything around it had been destroyed, but there was this payphone booth. And the payphone didn't even work anymore. Like it wasn't connected to anything, but it was just still standing there. And people started going to it because there, there, this idea came about somehow that you could pick up this phone and call your dead loved ones. And it's also interesting, you know, to go back to the anime that you know, you. There's no indication, and then this is the sort of thing I think you would expect in like a Western context, especially with a group that would be potentially deemed like a cult is that, you know, you would expect there to be some sort of like fraud or something going on here. But the, the only, you know, the, the, every time that we see this mother character do her, her mediumship, you know, the people who she's talking to apparently seem to, you know, accept that they're really talking to their dead loved ones. And, you know, the one time she gets tested by the character of Kite, who seems skeptical, um, you know, she, uh, you know, she uh, proves him, you know, wrong, essentially, because he gives her, you know, those glasses that came from, from the one dead girl, and she's able to relay a message from Nanami to, uh, to our protagonist, so... In a weird little way, the the show even seems to be suggesting or going along with the idea that you know these powers are real and that people survive from you know beyond the grave, which again would not be unusual in that culture. So, so I
2: think the thing that getting back to the point that I I was making before, that the whole double medium uh, kind of is arguably one of those things that could trigger more skepticism when you have this uh, adult making claims and saying, oh, I'm not making these claims, I'm not leading a cult. It's this child who is silent and cannot say anything to confirm or deny that that is actually leading the cult. And that is one of those things that if you're st- skeptically inclined probably leads you to to wonder if there's some manipulation going on. Uh, and that's something that is, well, as you said, in, in Japan Sinks uh, seems to be not, but in say special actors, uh, definitely it is more the the disingenuous sort of behavior going on.
3: So yeah, I-, I haven't I haven't seen special actors, so I'm I'm curious now. You know, and there's definitely the case that like there's some weird stuff. I mean, I, I I'm not saying there's nothing weird going on with like the people at Sean City because you know, I mean the the second episode with them. Well, I well the second episode with them where everything starts to fall apart when their compound gets hit by one of these earthquakes, like, you know, you see there's some stuff going on behind the scenes that we're not really privy to where, you know, I mean, the, the, the mother character, she's apparently like sleeping with one of her bodyguards or something. And um, then, you know, there's some other people who I guess have, you know some like leadership roles in the community that are trying to like steal a bunch of like money and gold and then there's like a shootout and so you know there's uh you know there there's clearly some stuff going on there but again like you know they never come across a, as a whole as like particularly sinister or untrustworthy you know when they they they, they don't deny the disaster going on the uh, woman mother uh, tells everybody to, like, get out, you know, and she's really upset when, like, a number of her followers uh, refuse and they're like, no, we're going to stay here and, like, die with you. So, you know, because she doesn't want that. She wants them all to to leave.
0: One last thing, and I swear to God we'll move on from the <laughs> this religious group. Um, it is interesting, though, to compare uh, the them in this, to um a movie like uh, uh Jellyfish Eyes, which has a character who's after Fukushima, whose mother has gone and, and joined one of these groups and has just completely drink has drunk drank the Kool-Aid and like that that movie portrays them as like basically loonies, you know. Um But I mean I think that might have even just been a little bit of a sub- kind of an intentional expectation subversion on Yuasa's part because there's a lot of stuff like the the first episode where they're at that commune. I was not comfortable. Like Daniel's weird. <laughs> like I don't know how you guys feel about Daniel, but I don't. I still don't trust him, even though we don't see him do anything messed up. But like he's weird. Like uh, like I was getting super like midsummer vibes of like yeah these these people are probably gonna kill you. And like even in I think it was the first episode. Like I swear to God, I thought Daniel was gonna like. Have sex with the mother. I was like, "Lady, I." You guys might know the part yeah. I'm talking about too, yeah. where like he goes into her, her room and like they start talking. I'm like, "Lady, you don't want anything to do with this guy." Like, <laughs> in the end, we he, we didn't see him do anything bad, but there's something there's something with him. But yeah, in the end, you know, you see the 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 woman who who leads them. You know, she's like leave, and then when people don't leave, she's like mad at them. She gets pissed off, and then it turns out like. Yeah, there's, like, other people in whatever hierarchy they have, maybe, like, directly underneath her. Some some people of power in that group are basically, like, doing the thing, the, vi- the villains in Godzilla vs. Yeah. where They're, like, trying to raid the safe, and they end up, like, shooting each other, like, you know. So so it, So there's definitely some opportunists in this group that definitely seem to be money-driven, greedy, but... In the end, like, yeah, the, the the one woman who is the leader is – does be – she is much more uh, human than, than these other guys.
3: I, I would be – this uh, is the sort of thing I would be fascinated to to find out, like, yeah, what Yuasa's sort of thought process was with those two episodes and, you know, if it was based on, like – because that's the thing is, you know, I – I think you're definitely going to get that discrepancy like we're talking about between this and like Jellyfish Eyes or um, the series that Kevin's talking about or movie Um, because you did have people who had very different sort of experiences. I I think that ties into
2: a broader theme that goes throughout the whole work Uh, and I think that it's 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 something that, you know, we say this is a post Fukushima series. I think this is a post Japan series. Because if you oh that,
0: that too <laughs>
2: yeah, uh, because if you look at the, the, the the characters that are 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 good guys, you have a mixed race family, you have a Hikikomori, uh, you have a Estonian trans person, <laughs> you have your your weeaboo basically in daniel coming there you have this this cult that's founded basically to comfort an autistic child you have a crippled man and if you look at your japanese characters you have an old racist drug addict and a a rapist like
1: (laughs) yeah that's (laughs) uh (laughs) that sums it up
0: um well but yeah I, i that's one of those things that like it to me once i found out like oh after fukushima there was this big uptick in people joining these groups like it's no it's no coincidence to me that any western review or something that i see for this series that's like the first thing that gets attacked is like feeling so weird and so out of left field and i only i can only imagine for a japanese audience they're like oh of course they're acknowledging this big thing that happened in this collective trauma that we went through
1: no, I mean, I, I actually I appreciate the information that Justin shared because, as you guys have said, every review that was mixed or negative about this that I read, that was the thing that they talked about was the the religious subplot, and it felt like it came out of nowhere. And that's how I felt when I watched it. I got I also had the uh, the midsummer vibes that you had, Bird, and then when I realized, like Bird was like, "You're being an idiot. Here's what this is." And I'm like, "Oh, oh, that it, it really reframed." how you view the series and how you view yeah. that those two episodes not everything works kinda, but
0: yeah yeah i i i think that i mean myself i i have a new appreciation for i still think like it, it there's not quite enough connective tissue to like the episodes after maybe but like i i just knew there had to be something more to it and like that's one thing that can be kind of frustrating with western reviewers when they review something like this is like you know maybe f- do a little bit of homework, you know, because this is made for a Japanese audience. This isn't made for everybody. Um, so maybe get a little bit of that context. That's why, like, when I first saw Shin Godzilla, I was like, I don't know what the hell this thing's talking about. So, you know, I invested in, like, learning a little bit more about the climate, you know, so, but yeah, I I mean, I, 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 my criticism of it would be that, like, there's not, it it still feels like a side story but knowing the context of why it's there definitely helps
3: yeah i don't think that knowing the context is necessarily going to make you like it because it's like you know for i mean cuz it it is it is a thing where you know i i i have the general feeling that like most of this whole series feels like a side story like it feels mm-hmm. like a you know it 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 feels very disjointed, I think, in that so much of it feels like a bunch of like side
0: quests that are sort of like strung together with these characters yeah, yeah it, it's a road it's a road movie, you yeah, know, it has that feeling of a road movie where okay, this is where they go to this place, this place, this place, and yeah, with this particular storyline um you know i I thought it was used well in terms of like it's a it is where you get to quiet down and kind of get some character development and you know, close up certain certain things here and there, but I, I I think it could have been integrated a little better. But you know, it for me it was a nice character building thing, and also it it's, there's a, I knowing that there's a very specific reason that it's there that speaks to the Japanese experience helps. Um, but uh, I don't. How do you guys feel about? Um, I guess I'll I'll we'll just kind of switch topics. Another big criticism I see and I see both sides of this is how do you feel about the, the deaths? Um they're very abrupt usually. Um they're very abrupt and very little is usually said and the characters kind of move forward. Um the example I'll give, again this is a spoiler spoiler show is the second episode, you know, you think the dad is going to be like, oh, he's going to be the guy that leads everyone through this. You know, nope. You know, uh, second episode, he blows up from a landmine, and that's it. He's done, you know. uh, And uh, I kind of agree with both approaches to this, so I don't even know which side of the fence I fall on here. But people are like, yeah, they move on too soon, but then, you know, especially if you look at the episode after the dad dies, they make a point where, you know, the the daughter is like, you know, are we all why are we all just moving on? Like this just happened. And the mom is like, look, we know, you know, we love your dad and we will mourn him. But like we got to go. There's earthquakes, <laughs> you know, so uh, I and, and and I don't know if it was intentional, but especially in like this post covid Well, mid-COVID time that we're in, when you hear, like, oh, a thousand people died uh, today, yesterday, the day before, and, like, each one of those people is a person with a family. It's someone's dad, uh, son, mother, daughter, etc., that's been, like, wiped out of existence and, like, is a country we've disturbingly just been, like, okay with it like there's those memes that are like yeah 9 3,000 people died we have that we have multiple 9-11s per week now you know and so and again it's one of those things where like the show kind of hits different nerves that you know weren't intended because you know I think this show was done and ready to go way before this pandemic so I don't know. I don't know what to really think. I, I see the point that they're making of, like, yeah, you know, they're saying, like, in a time of disaster, you can't sit down and reflect on your loved one for hours on end. But I also see the point where, like, yeah, maybe maybe more should be said about it. So I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I'm interested to hear what, what the rest of you guys think.
1: I think it sort of depends on i mean we everybody processes that kind of thing differently, and also you have to remember in this in the scope of the story, they don't really have time to sit there and process somebody that just died they got to keep moving or something else is gonna take them out you know you have that whole thing where the I forget the character's name, but there's a lady that gets killed by poison, and then like two seconds later they gotta keep moving because the poison's coming um mm-hmm. and I think that's part of it plus there's um something else with the mother and the daughter the daughter wants to talk to her dad again the mother explicitly doesn't want to and there's that go there's that back and forth when do we talk to the medium do we not talk to the medium and so like I think it wrestles with it pretty well and there's that point where like you have to keep moving on because if you don't you will also die so I was mm-hmm. I was okay with it it's it's a bit it feels callous because you want to take the time. To recognize that someone died and you want to respond to it, but you don't have the time. And that that also is a tragedy.
0: And and on uh, and on that note, and again, I, I'm i going to bring up The Walking Dead again. And there was an article written about, like, here's what The Walking Dead could learn from Japan Sinks. As someone that sat through seven seasons of that show, I will tell you, like, that it was the most frustrating when they did drag those things out. When it was like, okay, we found this commune and we're going to be there for the whole we'll season and run into the same hardships every time. Oh, this character died? We're going to spend the whole episode mourning this character. And, like, that show's still going on, but, like, that's part of the reason why, like, I stopped watching. It was like, okay, yeah, I've seen this song and dance done to death, stretched out over entire seasons, and it's tiring. So uh, there was a little bit of a refreshing, like, okay, they're just, they're not doing that. (laughs) kind of thing which works both in its favor and not in its favor like like justin was saying i would have liked to spend a little bit more time at that commune you know and maybe like you could make a whole series about that but i on the other hand i know why they're like okay yeah we're not gonna drag this out let's just get in and out
3: well no i was gonna say i was gonna say my thing with the deaths is like I, I don't know. I feel it. I feel they're weird and kind of unbalanced in a different way, because it's like the f- the first couple episodes in the show seem to use the death of characters, basic or the potential death of characters, um, you know, as as sort of just like narrative devices. I mean, the the first episode ends not with any particular character dying. You know, but you have bodies falling out of the sky from a burning helicopter. And so that makes for like a really sort of compelling cliffhanger where you're just like, wait, what's happening now? And then, you know, they don't really touch on that. The next episode just sort of opens and it's just like, you know, everybody's having to leave and, you know, move on to the next place. And then in the second episode, right, the dad dies very suddenly and very violently, Um, you know, and and, I mean – when when it happened that time, you know, I was kind of like, okay, you know, props to to UASA and the the creative team here because they, you know, the second episode is is very uplifting overall. You know, I mean, especially with the dad character, um, you know, because he he's apparently such a natural sort of survivalist you know he's got like all the skills he knows how to do everything you know he kills a a wild boar and makes it you know their dinner i mean it's kind of crazy um you know and then then to have him die in this very sudden dramatic violent way you know kind of did a good job of pulling the rug out of of you you know but they also did it right when it was like and credits and so then it's like gotta go into the next episode and then what uh Matt was talking about right Nanami dies suddenly and violently um but it seems to be done in service of then introducing the character of Kite because then Kite can save our protagonist right um of uh of of Ayumi Ayumi from not dying the same way that her friend just did, and then that episode gets to end on a cliffhanger with her brother, Go, being shot in the chest, you know, and it's like they, they <laughs> do that. They do that for a while there, and then they just kind of stop, and then what's weird is that they sort of shift gears, where then following that, every character that dies gets to die like a hero's death, you know, a much more, like it's, it's like a different kind of cliche, because then it's like, yeah, like, so then our our old like you know uh, japanese Clint Eastwood kind of guy gets to die this very you know heroic death you know in this like falling tower you know firing arrows allowing the family to escape <laughs> and um the Hikinomori character you know gets to gets to die you know making a 10 second dash you know between passing waves to grab a a computer file that they need that's been you know washed into a little tide pool or whatever and and so it just that that was that was my issue with it was it's like it's not that i think that the deaths are are too sudden or that they're you know callous or anything because uh, i mean when people die especially in in cataclysms like this i mean it very often is sudden and unexpected you know you know. Uh, and um you know it's not like having a loved one who's it, it it's you know arguably not even like you know the the current situation with the pandemic you know because if like you have a loved one and they get sick you know they might be in a hospital for a while and you can at least like mentally prepare yourself but it's completely different you know for somebody you know to just like suddenly die unexpectedly you know, because, you know, a, a piece of a roof fell on them or they walked into a poison gas cloud that, you know, you can't see because it's just bubbled up from the ground. Um, but, you know, it's just and I, I think this is a larger thing with the show that we can talk about. But, you know, it's just it, it's the way that they use it in the service of, of the storytelling that I felt just sometimes felt kind of gimmicky.
2: They get a they get very precious with the characters towards the end.
0: Yeah. Um so I think now would you know I I think we probably want to wrap up not in a li- in a little bit cuz some of us have to get up early so I I think we should pivot into um the overall theme so I'm going to kind of get back to what Kevin was saying about this being like a post Japan movie or series and he mentioned you know the mixed race uh, family, you know, basically the biggest, I guess, hero is, you know, you find out later is, um, is, is transgender, you know, Kite is, uh, uh, was born a female, I think is, is what we're supposed to get out of it. And now uh, Kevin got it. I got it. Did it, Matt, Justin, did you guys pick up on that? Or is that something that, you know, you were figured out later somehow?
1: I mean, he's wearing a skirt with long hair, and then he takes the skirt off and has pants, and then it flashes back. So yeah, I thought it was. It, it's like subtle if you're not looking, for, if you're not paying attention, you you would miss it. But it's, I thought it was obviously very, yeah.
0: Um, and and I I think it should be said that trans issues, gay issues, you know, um, in I mean, they're pretty bad here, um, but Japan has a lot of problems with it you know i mean things like forced sterilizations which i think even some states here still do that but i that's yeah yeah you know um so to see it really kind of go in that way even in, in as you know even in just that brief moment i think is kind of I mean, would it be cool to have known that throughout the whole series? Yeah, but I I mean, even including it right there is a interesting kind of power play of like, yeah, this this guy, you know, you've been following, he's a trans person. You know, how do you feel about that, audience? Uh, and that, that's where we that's where we kind of get into what Kevin was saying like and I mean, we'll just direct this right into the ending because the ending of the series is basically encapsulating a lot of this. So uh you know we 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 flash forward and we see um we do see i guess a more future the the future of Japan as you know again what this is what Yuasa i'm sure is saying like hey this is what we can be and you know my takeaway is kind of you know there are good things about Japan and Japanese people Japanese culture S- hang on to those things but also like embrace progress so you know we get you know flashes of things like uh, a gay prime minister who is on stage kissing his uh, husband or boyfriend or whatever and like is surrounded by people clapping you know we see lots of different mixed race uh mixed races you know um we see a lot of that and that's all stuff that in japan is still very kind of touchy subject matter and um it all comes out through there and then then what's interesting about that is I also don't really think it's saying like hey erase Japan's history or anything like that because we do see um like they do say like it's people migrating back to what's left of the homeland to make this (laughs) new Japan so there is a little bit of the traditional culture left it's just I think it's really leaving out a lot of the more toxic, you know, the racism, sexism, transphobia, homophobia, stuff like that. And that's how, as, as uh, a, a people, the country can move forward. And And I, a little visual um, to that is uh, we see, like, a record that is repaired with, uh, is it Kintsugi? Um, it, basically, it's an old, like, I think going back to 18th century um way of repairing pottery um we see that in the in that um in the the cult's little commune that they do that but later on at the end we see a record which is like you know a modern uh product that's repaired with with that gold um uh ancient gold practice so um I don't know, so I, I guess that's kind of where I where I fell in kind of my understanding of of that, and you know, it's and we can also pivot back to the previous episode. There's a sequence that I don't know a lot of people don't like. I liked it, but um, where the characters do their own little freestyle battle raps, and they're all kind of going in on about the pros and cons of Japan, and you know, uh, certain characters are like if you don't like it, why don't you just move out? And then other characters are like, yeah, this country's always treating me like trash. Like, the kid especially is is pretty anti-Japan, you know, and uh, another thing that a lot of English language reviewers are doing is kind of being like, I don't, I think it's dumb that, you know, he says certain words and lingo in English, but, like, that is what younger kids are doing over there because it is, you know, they like to speak English and say catchphrases and sayings in English. And you see throughout the series there's characters that give him shit for that and they're like, you know, basically saying you're a fake Japanese person. So,
3: <laughs> well, um, I mean it's not like we don't have a particular uh, you know, sub section of our population over here who likes to sprout random phrases in Japanese for no particular
0: Right <laughs> Right. Oh Desu you know. Oh, desu, um, you know. <laughs> um but yeah, I mean what what did you guys think of, I guess would you guys um, say that, that you guys have similar kind of takeaways from, from that? Because there's so much stuff that vi- is, is... In a 10-hour, 10-hour, uh, 10-episode uh, series of only, like, 25-minute episodes, like, there's a lot of stuff that's delivered visually or maybe non-verbally. I, I think... Yeah. Um, oh, go ahead. No, go for it, Kev.
2: Okay, just just on the, the, the theme of, like, a. Ed- that is more inclusive and uh, accepting of outsiders. Um, I think it's worth bringing up that the producer on this is uh, En Young Che, and the uh, the series dir- director, not the, the overall director is Masaki Yuasa, but the series director is uh, uh, Pyeong Ho. So these are two Korean women working in the Japanese animation industry. And that is, you know, sort of two unusual uh, cases to, to be in, in high positions like that, and I think that that might inform some of the themes that are going on as well.
1: Well, I think it's yeah, also had,
3: just for... Ref- oh, go ahead, Matt.
1: I was just going to say that um, I had a very similar read to, to what you did, Bird, and it, it's worth noting, like, the father is the only like quote-unquote pure Japanese in the family, and he gets taken out by the remnants of war in Japan, right? An old bomb goes off and, and, and kills him. And then we're left with this ragtag group of people that are a mixture of all kinds of different things. And then every time you meet somebody who hangs to old Japan or hangs to xenophobia, there's a sequence where they try to get on a barge, right? And they won't let them on because they realize that the kid is half Filipino. And so anytime you meet those people, they immediately die afterwards. Like the barge gets taken out. Um, and then you find like the the Gaijin, right? The the I guess he's American or whatever, but he's 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 actually helpful and friendly, and like all the the typical stereotypes that would be, are they're, they're all just flipped on their head. And so at the end of it, though, you do see that Japan still has the Japanese still have their identity. They're returning back to their homeland, but it's different. It's more inclusive, and like so, my my was basically the same as yours, Bird.
3: I was gonna say that um, I, uh, going off of what what Kevin was saying, I think it's also a thing though that you're facing the, the, this, this show is, is, is talking about Japan having to face what's an actual reality for them, um, which is that you know, uh, Japan as a, as a society, you know, they're not doing great in terms of population. And they haven't been for a few decades now, um, really ever since the 90s when the economic sort of bubble burst. And Japan's kind of been in a long recession for decades now. And uh, it's led to a, a, a sharp decline in, um, in marriage, and it's led to a sharp decline in uh, 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 birth rate. And, you know, I, I if it If it hasn't already happened, I haven't looked at those statistics in a while. Um, but it it's either it either already has happened or it's going to happen very soon is that Japan's uh, elderly population is going to surpass their um, you know uh, their population of of young children or young adults. Um, and so you have been seeing this move over time where, like, you know, the you know, there's this tension where, you know, the Japanese are very proud of their culture. They're very proud of their society. They're very proud of what, you know, they see as kind of like a pure purity to their culture, a kind of nativism. And at the same time, they realize that they need to bring people in in order to sustain it. And, and you know, you sometimes see these things pop up on like social media and stuff about how, you know, the Japanese are, you know, looking for, you know, uh, foreigners, you know, Westerners, or anybody else who want to come, like, live in Japan, just to keep like certain historic old houses in condition, because there isn't anybody to live in them, and it's part of their cultural heritage, and they're gonna fall apart and become dilapidated otherwise. Or um, it was, or uh, I was just having a conversation with uh, about with somebody about this not that long ago, because I was watching uh, uh, sumo on NHK. And uh, you know every other sumo wrestler was either um, you know half Japanese or uh, or less, and it's because you know since really the early 2000s there are not enough men in Japan to uh, qualify to, uh, in the weight class for sumo, and so they've had to start bringing in people from either usually Hawaii. Or Brazil to compete in sumo, and it involved them changing the rules because it was supposed to be that you had to be uh, pure, a hundred percent Japanese to to qualify for sumo. And now it's like as long as you have any Japanese blood in you, even if it's like a quarter, you can participate in sumo. So you know, I think that you're you're really seeing this this kind of tension being reflected in the show, where it's like, you know. If, Japanese, if Japan as a, as a culture and a country is going to have a future, it's, it has to be dependent on their willingness to embrace outsiders um, and, and invite people to come in and kind of take care of that culture. And, and that's, a real, that's a real tension, and I think that's a real dilemma for a lot of people. You know, and it, and it's interesting how many places it pops up. I mean, I watched the uh, I've been watching the 2018 Kitaro anime on Crunchyroll, and when they do the Great Yokai War arc uh, in that series, that actually is a very key part of it. Which surprised me is how sort of intensely political a couple of the episodes get, because you know they have these these yokai who are refugees from a country who the The villain monsters have destroyed and they get into this whole thing about, you know, how they, you know, the Kitaro and the other yokai want to welcome these foreign monsters in and make them feel welcomed, but like, you know, that comes with certain caveats that they have to, like, respect their culture and try and, like, conform a little bit and it's just, it's an interesting thing to see that brought up even in in a kids show like this or in something like Japan Sinks, which is I think it's safe to say decidedly not a kid's anime. Um, So, yeah, that's just, that's a real part of it. And overall, it's like, yeah, I mean, I agree with your, your, your take on it bird is like, you know, this is kind of suggesting that there needs to be sort of like a shakeup and and a revamp in the way things are done. And I do appreciate the, uh, the rap scene in the the second to last or the, the penultimate episode in episode nine, uh, because yeah, it is sort of you—you you get, the, you know, what always seems to be the kind of two polarized sides in these kinds of debates. And this isn't just unique to Japan. I mean, we have this in, in this country, too, in the United States, where you have people. <laughs> you don't yeah, who, you, you have, You always seem to have one group of people, right, which is sort of represented by, like, Go, right, the the kid who is sort of like, oh, man, everything here in the United States sucks. This is the worst country on Earth. It's horrible. You know, I don't want to be here. I'd rather go live anywhere else in the world. I don't care. And then you have people like Haru who are just like, all right, well, fine, get the fuck out. You know, we don't want you here. Um, you know, if you're if you're not going to appreciate how great, you know, our society is. And then, you know, you have um, uh, a Yumi, our, our protagonist, who comes in and is kind of the mediator. And I I like the line that she says in there, where she goes, you know, there's no point in comparing countries. You know, every country has things that are good about it, and every country has things that are bad about it. And the point is to, you know, work on on making things better, not to, you know, try and, you know, tear everything down, um, you know, because you're unhappy about the way, way some things are and not to, you know, try and get super defensive about the way things are uh, because, you know, you you don't uh, – you, you can't see the problems that other people have, you know, so – um, and again, it, it it might be it might be weird and and kind of you know cringy in a way to just have this sort of impromptu kind of freestyle battle. You know, I get the I get the point that it sort of feels like you know somebody was sitting around going, "What are the kids these days into?" <laughs> but um, but I you know I I think that uh, like a lot of this a lot of this series, you know, it, it has its heart in the right place. So.
2: Well, Devil Man also had, had rap battles. So, uh.
3: I don't honestly remember that part of Devil Man, but so much of that show I is that a, I do Yeah, so much of that in, show is a blur for me.
2: Yeah, uh, in Crybaby, at least. Uh, uh. But uh, yeah, speaking of speaking of sports, just a, a little lump on top of all of the other stuff that's going on. You know, there's this Olympic imagery throughout the entire show, but I think it's interesting that what, that what Go winds up being a uh, proficient in at the end you know swimming is obviously you know ties into the whole japan sinking and his mom was a swimmer and yada 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 but also esports which is something again one of those things that's very considered fringes of a society it's it's represented as an olympic sport in this this sort of idealized future so it's again just sort of embracing a new different culture and um and elevating it in a way that you wouldn't necessarily see
0: yeah. So, like, that's another thing. Like, is this like, is this like a, was this intended to be like kind of a product placement for the Olympics kind of thing?
3: Well, yeah. I mean, I think it's my understanding is, unless I'm I'm mistaken, is that this is supposed to take place, um, like right after the Olympics, because I think their dad is. You mentioned he's a construction worker. I think it's that he's supposed to be like helping to dismantle. The Olympic Stadium. Now that the thing is over, I might be wrong about that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, at the en- at the end, we see Ayumu is in the Olympics, right? right?
3: Yes. But that's like a fu-
0: so, I don't know I future Olympics.
2: Yeah, it, it, the the future Olympics because it's, yeah. the, she's in the Paralympics because of her leg.
0: Oh. Yeah, let, I, I mean, yeah. Let, let I, me. I mean, it doesn't really matter. I mean, whatever. But that is actually.
3: That is the one – I want to say something about that real quick. That is the one part of this show that I find to be – I found to be consistently the most frustrating thing, which is that there is no good reason she should have lost her leg.
0: Well, yeah, okay. So, so um, anyone that's with us that hasn't watched the show, uh, in, in the initial earthquake, her leg gets a very bad, very deep cut. And throughout the series, she, she doesn't nurse it, really. I mean, she checks on it. We see her check on it. You know, we see it, that it, you know, it impairs her walking and, and and things like that. And I, I think I get what the show's going for and that, like, this is a character, she already has a guilt complex, and, you know, she's most likely thinking, like, I don't want to bother anyone with my bullshit like you know I'll 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 deal with it but where where it is bothering me is like no one else seems to like say anything like you see her limping around and always like touching her leg you'd think like the mom or the brother like <laughs> so
3: you think someone would be like
0: Hey, like, well, it's, like, it's not okay? even
3: hidden. She's wearing she's wearing
1: capris. She's like, like the, yeah, she's wearing capris. You would see the she, infection spread. And stuff.
0: Yeah, I mean, yeah, like you, there's, would, there's, you would think someone else would be like, hey, like, what's going on with your leg? It looks like it's gonna f- about to fall off. Right. Like, <laughs> like that was the part that I
3: found the most frustrating because it's like, yeah, she gets this cut, which she then never treats, even when they're at the 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 commune, and you know, there's there's medical personnel around she she never has anybody look at it and then yeah she's wearing capris the entire time you know to the point that she's got this giant discolored purple spot on her leg that is impairing her walking and nobody else seems to really care and i'm just
0: like, like i i like i i get it from her perspective like she probably thinks it's way more trouble to bother anyone with and then she, she her in particular, like, she has a very, like, strong sense of denial about, like, everything that's going on. Like, she's like, you know, oh, we need to, like, like we said, like, oh, we need to stop and, like, talk about dad dying. And it's like, why? You know, we need to save our asses. Like, so she's probably in a little bit of denial about how bad it is. She probably doesn't want to bother anyone. But, yeah, what I can't wrap my head around is why they just decided not to, like, have anyone else say anything. And then my big thing... I mean, her
2: leg is definitely a, uh, an analogy for Japan, right?
0: You're right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think that's fair. Um, and yeah, in the end, it's like, yeah, to, to fix this, you just gotta lop the thing off, <laughs> you know? Um, uh, my big thing is like, and this is my biggest complaint, is... I mean, I realize it's ten episodes, five hours, but... There's a lot of really sh- narrative shortcuts and a lot of reliance on you know oh how convenient kind of things, especially in, in especially with kite like it's like yeah. he is deus ex machina as a person like he discovers like a a, a heavily like arm yeah he discovers like a heavily a heavy duty submarine that just happens to. Save everybody at the right time for no somehow after like Japan is basically sunk he finds like one of his old devices in the ocean and it gets everyone out of out of trouble and like he just so happens to be able to radio like people that like work with him and so that that was bothering me and I like kite as a character but it's like good god he's like <laughs> Batman and there, then, there's uh, like a city where I, it. I, it seems like it might be humbling
2: him when Onodera is maybe drowned, but then it turns out Onodera's fine,
0: so... Right, and Onodera, he bothers me too because, like, he doesn't make a lot of sense. First of all, like, his whole deal is pretty unclear and there's different reads on that that we talked about. But then, like, he knows exactly when the earthquakes are going to happen and he doesn't seem to tell anyone until, like, five minutes before they happen. Like, why does he have a secret cave? <laughs> like, he has his own bat cave reason's in the middle unclear. Of <laughs> So the movie can happen. So, like, is how that goes? So, yeah, it's like because reasons. Like, those two characters bothered me. Like, not not necessarily them, but like the, how the how the story utilizes <clears throat> them bothered me. I like both of the characters. I think they're fun and cool characters, but the way they're used in the narrative is just just irked me. Well, it's it's it... it's
3: weird. It's weird because I think the treatment of Onadera kind of ties into sort of a larger thing about this this show, which is something that also reminds me of like Shin Godzilla because you know Shin Godzilla was so much about the idea that kind of like the older generation and kind of like the people in established positions of authority, like they can't help with this new problem. They're not equipped for it. So you need like this younger, scrappier kind of group of outsiders. And that's sort of what this show does too, because unlike the previous versions of Japan Sink's, where it's been focused on like the scientists and the politicians and like the military and people who are in positions of authority here you know none of those people matter and it's about like the people on the ground the younger generation right people who are marginalized in society either because of their race or their uh, gender or or what have you and Onadera is interesting because it's like you know he's 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 a scientist so like the show doesn't want to completely dismiss him he's important but he kind of you know but they they literally paralyze him they make him unable right. to speak unable to move around on his own accord you know um and and so it's like he becomes entirely dependent on our younger scrappier protagonists to like take care of him, and, like, I guess, rescue all of his data and help implement it to sort of preserve the future. Um, so it's, it's a weird sort of energy that's going on there with him. And, like, his character, it's, it's like the show wants to acknowledge, it's like, yes, like, odadera is important as, like, the symbol of scientific authority, but he's not allowed to speak.
0: So... I dig his uh, setup. Once they, once it flashes forward to the future Japan, and he's in like a some kind of like robot suit, <laughs> <or> something. <laughs> I don't know what the hell that is. He does. He I does know. have the
3: best intentional joke in the show, though, which is going back to that rap battle where, like, after everybody's had their say, and then Kite turns to him and they're like, "Do you do you have anything you want to say?" Knowing he can't talk. And, and say what you get is him you know, just like tapping Morse code on on like the bar of his stretcher, and the subtitles just say, "I'm going to break everybody's neck who wouldn't listen to me." <laughs> <laughs> that, that made me laugh, but yeah. The,
2: the group of, of folks I, I watched it with every time it cut back to Onodera, we started uh, morse coding the word earthquake.
0: So. <laughs> Um so what do you think if there is one do you think there's anything to read into old morphine man who uh is very blatantly racist and then at the end kind of gets to play the hero a little bit he gets to be that grand Torino kind of like I said at the beginning the racist with the heart of gold trope I mean do you think they're going for anything particular with you know that character being representative of that more problematic older class or i don't know this is where i think the show's a little more nuanced um well
3: he's not i mean i think that on this i mean it's weird because it's sort of like it's it's that weird thing where if you wanted to get get into that conversation that people sometimes do that i i i'm suspicious of the You know, um, I'm usually suspicious of sort of the intention here, but, you know, you start making up these categories about the difference between, like, somebody who's a racist versus someone who's, like, a
0: xenophobe versus someone who's, like, a bigot. Yeah, we even hear that now. Like, you know, we hear, (laughs) like, oh, my – you know, my – drunk uncle like yeah you know he doesn't hate black people but you know every now and (laughs) then he says the n-word i'm not racist (laughs) but i forget who it was yeah yeah you get that uh i forget what it was i don't know if it was college humor or one of those sites they did like a like a a skit where it was like diet racist yeah 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 (laughs) you know (laughs) like it's like it's still shitty it's still racist but like it's one of those things where it's like hey yeah the guy's probably a horrible person with a lot of really horrible views but like in the throes of chaos and death he he was it, it had the bare minimum of decency to save another human life well like,
3: it's it's like the, that's how i would well it's like the difference is you know between him and and the people that we run into very briefly in in chapter 7 is it's like cuz that's that's what's interesting right cuz you know we are talking about the fact that our protagonists right are are this mixed-raced family but you don't actually find that out until um episode 4 at least that's what i have in my notes is like they don't bring it up until then because because to be honest just the fact that like the mom had like a darker skin tone than the rest of them i did not think that immediately meant that she wasn't um japanese per se i thought maybe she was from like you know, the Ryuki Islands, where, you know, they, they mm. tend to be darker uh, skinned, like Mugen from Samurai Champloo is is supposed to be from the Ryuki Islands, and that's why he's darker than the other characters. But it's not until, like, episode four, where she brings up that actually she's Filipino, and so the kids are half Filipino, and that's where you get, you know, the, the part where, where the old man, Kunio, you know, for the first time kind of expresses... You know, it's like he doesn't approve, you know, he doesn't approve that, like, the kids are, are, you know, like, hafu and that, you know, the mom is, is is not Japanese, right? That she's gaijin. But it's like he doesn't, like, berate her for it. He doesn't kick her out of his truck and he's like, well, you're walking the rest of the way, you know. He's just, you know, he's kind of rude about it versus, you know, you get to episode nine and you have that scene with, like, the barge full of you know ultra nationalists um who won't even like take them on yeah.
0: because they're not and, and they're about to take them on until they find that out right and then they're like oh uh, never mind like yeah. get bent well it's 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 weird because the
3: thing is like with that scene is like you sh- you show them on that barge and they're chanting like these openly like racist slogans and yet for some reason like the family still tries to like get on and then you know, they're immediately rebuffed. And the thing about them is, it's like, you know, Yuasa doesn't even give them like the time of day. He's like immediately like blows them up because it, it, <laughs> right, it's yeah. sort of, so it's like, yeah, I mean, that's where I think the nuance you're talking about comes in because it's sort of weird because it feels like they're, they're he's sort of saying, like, you know, look, if you're somebody who, you know, won't even help a a person who's in distress because they're not pure-blooded Japanese, just like, you know, like, fuck you. Like, I don't have time for you. Like, you can go die in a fire, you know. But if you're somebody like, you know, this old shop owner who, you know, is just this sort of, like, Archie Bunker figure who's just like, you know, well, I think your husband should have married a nice Japanese girl instead of a woman from the Filipinos. Like, Like, you're not great either, but we can work with that. You know, mm. it's like maybe we can work on you a little bit, you know, so <laughs> like there's some, there might be some redeemable
0: qualities there. So, um, well, I, I mean, we we can kind of start wrapping up. Uh, what would, did you, um, I mean, how do you, how do you guys feel about, you know, the characters overall? Like, was there anyone that you particularly didn't like? I, I feel like I, I liked mostly everyone except Daniel because he's weird. And um, I don't know Haruo didn't really do much for me. Um, I, I I like the family. I mean, I, I I everyone the most the biggest problem I have is how some of the characters are used more than anything.
1: Yeah, I think you're... kite bothered me the most in the way that he was used, and it, it's a it's a it's a very cheap but continuous frustration of the show that he always has the solution and it's often very implausible and it's always just fine and it, it gets really frustrating <laughs> it's like uh-huh. it's just everything always seems to work
0: out um we're even led to believe that he died and then it's like oh no Oh, well, he was just fine, fine because of course he was right <laughs> he's he's up in a storm yeah. holding a balloon or floating
1: or whatever he's <laughs> kite thing and he's holding and fr- by the way he's, he's getting frostbite as well because he's so high up in the clouds but he's fine um, that was a constant frustration. None of the characters for me were also like, no, nobody really stood out either. Like they're all, they're all mm-hmm. decent, but nobody really stood out, stood out to the point where I would say they resonated with me that much. I, yeah. I, I don't, I can't put my finger on why. Um, but I do think the way Kai choose is just like, I don't know. I got frustrated by it quite a bit.
3: Yeah, I mean, I thought the characters were fine. It was, But again, it was that sort of thing where it was like, I didn't hate any of them, but there wasn't a particular character who I was like, you know, I wanted to spend more time with. It was right. just the sort of thing of it's like, you know, they all do what they're supposed to, you know. I mean, um, you know, Ayumi a is, you know, a, a pretty standard protagonist. Go is... Annoying in the way that I think he's meant to be, as like a little kid with, you know, uh, you know, some some you know dumb opinions about things. Haru is, you know, just kind of there. He gets to be, he's supposed to be inspiring at the end. Kite is a cliche, you know. So yeah, <laughs> it's just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd
2: say Naomi is maybe the only character that. Like we get a little bit of her karate stuff, uh, and then she yeah, because a... she's yeah. the one
0: that like the the guy try like the there's because it it does get into that trope of like yeah it's everything's gone to hell and like there's the, these guys that are like you know she she survives a rape attempt and that's when yeah you get a little bit of her I liked her too. But I also kinda liked then, that it was like, Oh, this person you really like, oh they're gone. Well so. yeah, it's because you are two <laughs> most common characters. One one
2: uh walks too low to pee and, and suffocates and the other gets blown up by yams, so <laughs> <laughs>
0: um Oh yeah, that so yeah. yeah, I mean I I think the story itself could have been told better and I think we've kinda discussed the the problems there. Um but yeah, I mean I was entertained. Yeah, no, I mean that was the whole thing.
3: It's like, I mean, if, you know, to kind of sum up my my thoughts about it was like, you know, I I I I watched this. I did this in you know, it's 10 episodes. I did it in five episode chunks basically over two nights and so you know, I mean, it kept me watching. I was I was interested in where it was going, especially I think because it was so different from the other iterations of this story. And, um, you know, but uh, at the at the same time, it's like, yeah, at the end it's sort of my feeling about it is like, um, you know, it's like I said before, it's like I feel like the show has like its heart in the right place. Like it has a very good message. It has, you know, you know, for both, I think, people in Japan and there are broader applications there about, you know, the importance of you know how you should think about issues like patriotism and what that means um as a, as a society right uh but you know i feel like as as a show it's it's kind of clumsy like it feels like mm-hmm. it's you know like again it 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 means well but it sort of is is tripping over uh maybe some of its own its own good intentions at times as well as kind of like the, the format of the, the story that it has to, you know, it, 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 it the constraints of, of the story that it has to work with, you know, I don't know. Again, it, it's one of those things where it's like, I, I, I you know, I, I wonder if this was the sort of thing where, you know, you got the opportunity to adapt this, this property that a lot of people were familiar with, but you know, What he really wanted to do was tell a story about, you know, uh, you know, patriotism and, you know, 2020 and Japan and, you know, issues about, you know, racism and nationalism and and those sorts of things. And then he just had to do it within the confines of a disaster movie. And so that's why we we have the show that we have. So, Mm -hmm. Uh,
0: yeah, Matt, closing thoughts?
1: <clears throat> um I, you know, are we doing are we getting to ratings now, is that what we're doing? Yeah, we're, we're yeah, okay. Um you know, for the, for me this show I really struggled with the religious subplot and then I, I learned more about it and then it made sense and it kinda bumped up how I felt about it. I do agree that the show is a bit clumsy. I think that it's a bit disconnected at times and there's some frustrations, some very real frustrations with some of the characters. Um I think like I get what they're going for with Ayumu, but I think the frustration for me with her is like she's always like the leg thing. I mean, it was it's it's set out from what the second ish episode, and it's ne- and then like you realize okay, there's gonna be a payoff, and the payoff she loses her leg, but it was so preventable. Like it kept bothering me because they would give you oh she's checking on her leg again or oh she's limping, and those kind of frustrations are throughout this. And again, I mentioned Kite. You know, he's the the savior of the group constantly. Um, and I think some of the storytelling, like, it just feels a bit disconnected. We could have spent more time in the commune. Alternatively, they could have cut that out, and it might have actually been better. I don't know. That's the problem. We kind of just linger there, and it, it just feels a bit rushed. Um, but I will say, I, I'm going to give this a... Um, a, a recommendable, a very solid three out of five, which is like I started at like a two. So So I mean I, I've I've kinda of changed my um my views on it based on what I figured out about the the stuff about the Fukushima, the new religion stuff. It's pretty interesting.
0: Um yeah, I mean I'm 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 more or less with I think I, I think we're a little unanimous here. Uh I like all the ideas, um, the delivery it works in certain places, it works in some places, certain other places, and I mean, this really is one where, like, I listen to a lot of the complaints, and aside from, like, people just not getting some of the stuff from a, a Western perspective, like, I get it. Like, um, our friend Chris, who's been on the show a bunch of times, like, he hated it, and he's like, you know, it, it feels like every everything it tries to address, it does it too soon, so it feels em- like empty Platitudes, and then I'm hearing other people that are like, "I just like that it addressed it at all." And then I, I I hear people that are like, "Oh, like it's it's too sappy." And then I hear other people that are like, "Well, they're not sentimental enough towards <laughs> the deaths, you know." And, and that's what I meant when I I said earlier, like the last th- I I don't know what the last thing that that dropped that had such a varying varying degrees. Of of opinions and I and I I think that's good. I think it makes it interesting to talk about whether you loved it or hated it. Um, and for me, I mean, things it tried to do uh, or a lot of the things it tried to say, I appreciated and and I, I was able to understand. Um, you know, I like how it how it it does tackle everything from racism to patriotism, nationalism, um, economic issues. Uh, i mean it, it 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 there's so many issues it unpacks like like we said the 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 uptick in new new religions there's so much stuff in here maybe too much um so uh, so between that and then just the general like from a storytelling perspective like it is a bit of a mess and there are things that the the story this story could have been told better so you know weighing everything i'm gonna come down at a three and a half unaddressed uh leg injuries <laughs> out of five um so we'll cir- circle back to Kevin and justin on a numeric scale on the unaddressed leg issue uh uh scale what wh- what would you give this uh uh so the
2: the series uh it's it's one of those things where you know compared to to other things in the same genre it's it's difficult because there's things it does better and things it does worse uh i think it's you know a lot of people are sort of dismissing it as a as the knockoff of tokyo magnitude uh 8.0 and i you know i've always thought that, that was derivative of uh, japan sinks and deathquake and things like that anyway so that doesn't really bother me i'd like that it does things completely differently from the prior japan sinks incarnations though and that we just kind of have a a new story and we're not trying to, to retell the same thing that has already kind of been done. I think pretty much uh, as well as it could have been done back in the Uh, Mm seventies. That said, the show is inconsistent. There's a lot of tonal whiplash. There's a lot of, you can't really kind of get a sense of how you're supposed to be feeling about things. Sometimes Uh, uh, there's, some uh there's some sloppy animation like some some of the backgrounds are gorgeous but sometimes the characters get wildly off model um the the music again is sometimes great sometimes like the the opening credits are very inappropriate for the entirety of the series i don't know what the what the deal was (laughs) i liked
0: the score i feel like i i I don't know that it necessarily matches the I liked it too. Seen all the time, but it feels like something I could li- just put on, like when I'm trying to chill, and and would be a good listen. But
2: oh yeah, it's it's one of those like it, I I would love to have a soundtrack, but I don't know how well it always matched up with what was going on on screen. So um, yeah, I would give it maybe a, a three and a half on the Richter scale.
0: <laughs> all right, all right, Justin, where would you place this on a scale of five
3: um i think i'm gonna come down the same as as all of you guys i'm i i think three uh out of five uh unaddressed leg injuries like it's you know like i said i think that it has good intentions i'm i'm happy that it's trying to address some of the issues that it it does um i wish it was a better show you know i wish that it was more mm-hmm. consistent i wish that it had better storytelling i would love to be able to unabashedly recommend this to people because uh, you know some of the themes that it addresses you know i'd love to be able to say you know hey if you want something that has a really good job meditating on you know the the issues of of patriotism like go watch this anime. And unfortunately, I feel like I can't do that because it's like, you know, I I would be saying, you know, hey, there's this anime that does, that deals with all of these themes. It's not very good, but if you can get through something that's kind of mediocre, (laughs) then, you know, there's some good content in there. So yeah, it's a three out of five for me.
0: All right. Well, uh, I think we're good there. Um, I know Kevin uh we've kept him up a half hour later than we said we would so you know we can head on out um so yeah i mean guys thank you for joining us um yeah it's an interesting show Uh, my favorite is still the 70s japanese version which the prime minister in that movie is like he's mvp of all this stuff uh and uh you can forget the Huguchi version as far as I <laughs> as far as I care. But um no, this this was a good discussion and uh yeah, I'm glad you guys came on and we'll head out of here. Sounds good. Thanks for
1: having Good night, everybody. Good night. Good night. Good night.